Okay, hello. Welcome to episode two of my podcast. I'm Hannah, and you're listening to my podcast. Today, I'm talking to Rahul and John, who are two of my co-workers at my gym, and they both are sports people, so we're going to talk about <laughs> periodization and athletes and um, the general population and personal training and all sorts of fun stuff like that. So, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, uh, I'm Rahul. I'm a senior at William & Mary. Uh, I work with Hannah at the William & Mary Rec Center. We're both trainers, and I play rugby for William & Mary as well. And you're certified through? Yes, and I'm certified through ACSM. Um, I'm John. I also work with Hannah at the Campus Rec. I'm a junior, also certified through the ACSM, and uh, I also play rugby. Sweet. So can we start by, like, you guys talking a little bit about your own personal training styles for yourselves, because you're both rugby players, so that probably influences the way that you do strength and conditioning kind of work? Yeah. Um, For myself right now, um, since we're about to start our season uh, next Saturday, I'm doing a lot of, like, preseason lifting, so that incorporates a lot of strength and, like, power movements, so... For example, like on a given day, I'll work my upper and lower body. If it's upper body, I'll do like a lot of heavy movements, um, and then also do like explosive movements, so hang cleans, um, kettlebell swings, kettlebell snatch. I don't know how to Olympic lift, so I have to kind of like vary it up a bit. Um, but then on the days that I'm not lifting in the gym, I'm focusing on like agility training and conditioning. So a lot of interval training um, that incorporates like tire flips. Um, like full body movements, like burpees, uh, bear crawls. So just kind of like working my way to be fit for our games. Yeah, um, the way I train is kind of just left over from when I was taught how to lift early in high school, uh, training mostly for uh, high school football. So my training style is very much um, dependent on just kind of simple, more rudimentary weight training. Um, And I kind of go on a three days on, one day off cycle, alternating kind of just on a very simple level between upper body, lower body, back. Um, And as Rahul said, we're getting ready for the season right now. So I'm working a lot on on kind of high volume, low intensity training. Um, Also working on a lot of cardio and explosiveness training usually at rugby practice itself. So... How many days a week do you train, Rahul? Um, I try and train about five days a week. So that'll be like Monday through Friday. Saturday and Sunday, usually I'll take a day off. Usually about Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'll be in the weight room um, doing my routine. So that's like upper body, lower body. And then usually the Friday is like a mix, if not like emphasizing one part that I feel like I need to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the two other days is like the strength and conditioning. So usually not just like the agility conditioning kind of stuff. So that's usually like when we have rugby practice. If not, then I'll just switch those days up, the days I should be lifting the gym. So instead of like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'll do like Wednesday, I do my agility training, and Thursday, I'm doing my gym training. So that on top of games and practices is yeah. pretty high volume yeah. in your life, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm lucky because my schedule uh, can like fit it in. That's kind of the reason I designed it that way, but... Yeah, it takes a lot of time um, if you have stuff to do. So in terms of like when you're working with a client, like if you had a client who was basically the same level of fit as like someone on your team, Mm -hmm. um, how would you train or how would you program for a general population person who's that level of fit versus somebody who's like doing a sport for a season? Yeah, um, usually 
for someone who'd like be my level, um, I would ask them like what they're looking for. So if they're not an athlete, like not on a team, and they're just looking, for example, to build muscle, I would completely change the program from what I have currently. Um, I would emphasize a lot more hypertrophy training and also now and again putting in like heavier lifting, mm-hmm. but tailoring it to their needs. Mm-hmm. And then if they feel that they want to start getting more into like athleticism mm-hmm. and conditioning i'll start moving it over to what i'm currently doing because mm-hmm. um, i know myself like once the season ends and i'm into the summer and i'm done with school i'll be focusing a lot more on like hypertrophy training trying to like um like build muscle maybe try and like not gain weight per se but like gain muscle mass mm-hmm. so like lean body mass yeah um and then switch over when like i'm starting the season again in the fall to the things I'm doing now, which is, like, strength and explosive movement training. Gotcha. So it really, like, depends on what their needs and what their desires are. Yeah. Could you just... (laughs) (laughs) Like, when you you have, like, an athlete um, Mm -hmm. who's training at a certain, like, you're at a, say, X fitness level, um, and you have a person in the general population who's at X fitness level, like, the same level as the athlete, how... Like, what are the main differences, would you say, between the training that you would do for your yeah. sport versus, like, for general Yeah, health? so, I mean, depending on the sport, obviously, but um, often in sports, there's a much more, a much higher emphasis on, um, I guess, explosiveness, um, and also just kind of, like, reaction time and things like that, so, um, whereas with someone in the general population, I'd probably be working on um, more functional fitness, you know, everyday fitness, and then, you know, in accordance to their goals, um, you know, whatever they may be, but with an athlete specifically, it'll be more specific to the sport, so, um, someone who, like, you know, wants to play any sport, I mean, any sport involves reaction time, you know, Mm -hmm. you could throw in, like, like, when you're doing a squat, like, maybe put them on a BOSU ball and toss them a tennis ball or something, Yeah. whereas with someone in the general population, that probably wouldn't be as functional. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, like I said before, more explosive training that uh, probably wouldn't be as useful to someone who wasn't playing a sport. Yeah, for sure. How do you feel like your experience as an athlete and as a trainer like interact with each other? Like Whether that's in your own working out, in your practice, or in your working with your clients. I think it's really useful because as a trainer, I now have the knowledge how to effectively program and then also like how to do movements correctly. Mm -hmm. So I can experiment on myself pretty much and see like what's working for me and what's not working for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I also know like what's fun. So I know a lot of like personal training things can be kind of boring depending on what the client's needs are. But when you're doing like athletic movements, it's like a game. That's exactly what it needs to be. So I've learned how to like make core training like, a game for my client now, and he will love doing it, just because he's just like, oh, like, let's see how better, how much better I can do this time, instead of just Mm -hmm. doing, like, a hundred crunches, and see if he can beat that, like, that's just really boring, um, but it just gives me the freedom to, like, play around a bit, um, and just use myself as a guinea pig, Mm -hmm. um, because now I know, like, how to keep track of, like, how much I'm lifting, and also, like, basically how to create a program, um, from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, for me personally, I think my experience with lifting, um, which always stemmed from having a purpose directly related to a specific sport, like in high school, it was always football. Um, now it's rugby. I've always found that 
the times where I'm really devoted to going to the gym are the times where I'm being like the most inventive and creative with, with my lifting mm-hmm. and trying to always avoid doing the same lift certainly more than once in a week. Like mm-hmm. even if it's just like I need to bench twice a week, well one day I'll do like barbell, the next day I'll do dumbbell. Because even though it's a small difference, you know, it's still it's still a different weight. You know, it's I actually have to think about it rather than just kind of laying down and starting to lift. Um, so with that experience, like I've definitely carried that over into my um, programming for clients because I realized that no one wants to do the same thing like every time they go to the gym, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you just plateau I think pretty quickly mm-hmm. when you're when, when your mind's not you know so engaged with what you're doing. So um, <clears throat> that's honestly like my favorite part of being a trainer. It's just like um, trying to come up with really unique stuff for people to do, and then often like I'll come up with something. For somebody to do you know that I program for somebody else and then I'll carry that into my own training yeah you know I think a lot of people do it the other way around but for me uh, I really find that I put more effort into it when it's for somebody else mm-hmm. definitely I definitely feel that I do that with my clients a lot and I'll come up with these insane workouts or programs that I write for other people and then when I come down to what I'm doing I get mm-hmm. in the gym and I'm like <laughs> I don't know like and then I'll just pull up something that I've written for somebody else and do it and it yeah. like kills you oh yeah and I think like being an athlete while being a trainer helps you be, like, a whole lot more body positive because you're mm-hmm. focused on, like, the performance rather yeah. than, like, the appearance. Yeah. Or, like, even just the numbers game. Like, I don't care as much about how much I can bench, for example. I just mm-hmm. care about what that transitions to, like, on the field. Yeah. So if I know that, like, doing a variation of bench is helping me, like, hit harder or, like, being able to pick someone up better, yeah. like, that is, like, what I'm looking for, yeah. rather than just, like, pure aesthetic. Yep, I've been thinking about that a lot this semester as I've transitioned into long-distance running, Yeah, because I, basically, for forever, like, since I started getting into fitness, I haven't been an endurance athlete, I've always been a strength athlete in one way or another, mm-hmm. even though at the beginning it was very, like, bodybuilding-y, and um, realizing, like, that strength training changes so much when you're training to support endurance, like, running, which is what I'm focusing on specifically, is, like, a super weird experience, because you're in the gym and you're not, you're actually actively not trying to lift maximally, or even, like, sub-maximally, like, you're trying to lift very moderately, Mm -hmm. because you want to increase strength and increase, like, resistance to injury without making yourself like you don't want to feel the effects of your strength training the yeah. next day because the next day you have to run whatever yeah. x number of miles or do whatever pacing like workouts so that's been super weird and I feel like it's similar when you have like a sport like you're not trying to get murdered by every yeah. single workout yeah. that you do because you have to go to practice later or have you know your game or whatever it is yeah yeah I agree that's like the one biggest thing adjustment that I had to make was like I remember when I first started playing rugby I was still in the mindset of, like, I need to lift as heavy as possible and all this stuff. And I, I'd be so exhausted that within the first, like, 30 minutes of practice, I would have mm-hmm. to, like, sit out. <laughs> like, yeah. it would be terrible because, like, then you don't even get to play the sport that you want to play. Mm-hmm. So just, like, that alone made me realize, like, yeah, yeah, you need to, like, prioritize one thing at a time. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything you do in your training? Because, so rugby is a sport that, like, the games really do yeah. kill you completely. <laughs> yeah. And, like the next day after a game and the day after that usually is like pretty hard to do anything especially because you're getting hit you're moving for so long and using so much strength and running fast and hitting people so is there anything that you do differently in your strength training and in your like personal workout program to enhance your like recovery time from games 
or have you heard of anything that does that? Because I never do yeah. that. When I played for me, I just was like, well, like, I'm going to maybe stretch a little. Yeah, <laughs> I think for me, like, by far the most important thing is hydration as soon as you finish the game. I mean, like, leading yeah. up to, throughout, and afterwards, because, like, the first time that I played a full 15s match, um, this past fall, it was, like, a 95-degree day. Like yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was cramping up like two days after the match and I was just constantly drinking water so yeah like if you're not hydrated like you can't you can't even think about lifting Mm -hmm. in the first place but um once that's underway I think it's like a lot of stretching a lot of foam rolling trying to keep warm like hopping on a bike for half an hour yeah um just trying to work things out but definitely like training in season I think is a lot especially when you're like you know, in a in a stretch of three weeks, we have like a fifteenth match every weekend. Yeah. Um, in season in season training is definitely more about just kind of staying loose. Yeah. You know, you're not you're not gonna like totally alter your body. You know, yeah. improve a lot of in a lot of strength and like over the course of like yes, yeah. <laughs> like two or three workouts leading up to a game. It's much more important to just try to stay like do <laughs> things that are gonna keep you loose and healthy. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Like the biggest change I had to make was like make life easier for myself so that recovery doesn't seem like a chore it mm-hmm. just seems like something I have to do yeah so like it was something simple as a, as like buying a gallon of water and having it on my desk at home ready for me to just like destroy yeah. <laughs> like when I come back yeah um and then also like keeping in mind to like block off time after a game like this is my time mm-hmm. to sleep first to shower yeah um and really just like overall recover yeah. so I just remember, like, sophomore year when I started playing, my friend and I would play together in a game, come back, and, like, not really take it seriously. Like, you'd go out and party that night and yeah. get terrible sleep, not drink at all, and wonder why you're, like, feeling terrible the next days. Yeah. So it's, like, just a Because whole... you got home and drank beer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> drank, drank a lot. <laughs> and that's just, like, a tradition that, which, like, yeah, yeah, right. the like, guys team has, which is, like, fun. I understand The women's it. team has the same tradition. Exactly. Like, yeah, right? it's always like that. But, like... You have to remember that even though it's fun to, like, be with your friends at that time after yeah. a game, just bond with them, your body's going to hate you afterwards. Yeah. And, like, that's just the one thing I love about fitness is that, like, there's no bullshit. Like, yeah. your body's going to let you know that you didn't do the right things. Right. No matter if you, like, are feeling good in your head that you played a good game or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's really just about, like, having a little routine after t- like every time you do something so that's like something i'll establish to my clients i'll be like okay we finished up here i'm gonna stretch with you for about 15 minutes but remember when you get home i want you to drink this amount of water yeah and i want you to like at least eat something yeah um and so i get it in their head that like you'll only see results if you do the routine in full you can't just yeah. be here for like an hour and then hope exactly yeah. right like it's a whole process and you'll start to realize it's not like a big thing it's like the equivalent of like waking up in the morning and brushing your teeth and taking a shower. Yeah. Like, that's what I want it to feel like. Yeah. So that's just something it took me a while to understand. Yeah. Rugby is so curious, too, because you have this, like, culture of, especially with the way subs work and everything, like, oh, you have a nosebleed? Like, put dirt in your nose. Or, like, (laughs) oh, you have a broken leg? Keep playing. Can you stand up? Like, you're fine. And then you, like, finish the match and you're like, all right, let's go all, like, have 10 beers. So it's, like, this game that's incredibly intense on your body and then like behind it this culture of like you're fine let's party (laughs) and so you have to like really think about those things yeah yeah no like that like everyone wants to be like a badass when they're on the field right you want to be like making the best play you always want to be seen as like as if you have a nosebleed you'd want to get back in but you can only be like that if you've done everything right up until that point so like 
I think I only started to realize that now in my senior year. Like, before, I was just like, oh, you'll get on the field and do something. Yeah. And it just doesn't add up. And it's frustrating to get that way. Mm -hmm. So that's the same thing, like, again, with anyone who's training who's not an athlete. If you want to do, like, the cool things you see online, then Mm -hmm. you have to start taking it, like, seriously. Yeah. And doing things outside the gym. Yeah. John, you might be able to speak to this more. But something I've noticed with rugby is that it feels like also the most, like, one of the most biomechanically sound sports. Like, when you look at, like, American football, you have these tackles that are just, like, kind of crazy looking. And I don't know, like, I don't know anything about how much tackling practice guys who play football do. But, like, in rugby, like, we spend so much time when I played on where your head is going, where your shoulder's going, like, how to tackle someone right. And, like, so many – it was so, like, drilled into our heads that you you can't just hit somebody. You have to hit them the right way. And so it made it seem like it was this, like, there was more, like, reverence for, yeah, like, the yeah. most healthy way to move your body, yeah. even in the games. Yeah, so I would say having played both sports, um, tackling in rugby is so much more of, like, an art and so much more – thought is put into it you know where you're gonna put your head uh so that you know you don't hit your head on someone's kneecap and like get knocked out or yeah. get your teeth knocked out or something like that uh, because in football you know you have the helmet on you have the shoulder pads on you feel like invincible and you often just throw your body like into people without any regard mm-hmm. to what that's going to do to you and honestly i've gotten way more like I've had a couple of concussions in football, but way more times where I've got my bell rung or, you know, been stunned in football because you just don't think about it, you know, because mm. you're like, I'm wearing a helmet. Like, this has got to keep me safe. And <laughs> you put your helmet into someone's chest and, uh, and then, you know, the next thing you know, you're seeing stars. Whereas with rugby, it's obvious that you're not going to do that because, you know, if you do, you're going to get knocked out. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, and the result is just far less head injuries certainly in my own experience Mm -hmm. because I'm thinking about okay if I have to tackle him I'm gonna put my head somewhere usually like behind their thigh or something where there's no way they're gonna you know I'm gonna take a lot of damage um yeah I think that's definitely a real thing I think you know the sense of invincibility that that having all those pads on and and honestly like the fact that helmets are so hard helmets cause more concussions than anything else yeah you know so the, the very thing that they're designed to protect i think they often damage more than anything yeah i didn't even know that yeah it's just like whatever like reverberates back against your head yeah i mean you think about how hard a helmet is yeah i'd rather yeah, get hit true. with a human yeah. i feel like yeah. when i played rugby i i got like people fell on my head all the time oh it was yeah like fine like yeah. <laughs> that's a know? huge difference like, yeah but um, yeah like the biggest thing i also noticed is like because we have continuous play if you were, like, just trying to lay someone out, like you would in football, that's mm-hmm. actually, like, a detriment to your team. Yeah. Because yeah. if, like, you miss or, like, you don't make the tackle correctly, mm-hmm. like, you've taken one, te- like, member mm-hmm. out of your team. Yeah. So you're no one's going to wait for you. Right? So you, like, playing 14 people instead of 15. Yeah. Yeah. And I think often it's just you have a lot less momentum going forward into a tackle. I mean, uh, in rugby. And I think there's obviously exceptions to that, but oftentimes, like, you know, the biggest guys, when they get the ball, like, in a forward pack, they're still only, like... like nobody's moving. And <laughs> the tackles, like, it's just staying like in one place. At the very most, they're, like, you know, five yards away from the nearest defender. So, right. and they're not going to build up that much speed in that time. And there's usually more than one guy around to tackle them. And everyone's tired anyway. You know, you're mm-hmm. not, like, usually running with everything that you have. So, yeah. Um, Are you both forwards? No, I'm a bat. We're both backs. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. We have... Interesting. It makes, I'm surprised you're not a forward, actually. I refuse to play forward. <laughs> <That makes laughs> sense. 
I never wanted to play back, but I wanted to be fast enough to, but I never was able to, so I was a lock, which was grand. Um, so I found this article, and it's a study by Mann, Thiefault, Ivy, and Sayers on the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, um, and it's talking about auto-regulatory progressive resistance exercise versus linear periodization on strength improvements in college athletes, basically saying that auto-regulatory progressive resistance exercise is a method where athletes increase strength by progressing at their own pace based on daily and weekly variations in performance, and then linear periodization is a set increase in intensity from week to week. So I'm curious... First, before we talk about the results of the study, like what you guys do and how you found that to affect your performance and your client's performance. So the first study they mentioned, you're improving based upon like how you did in that sport that week or like how you So it's like, it it seems to me that auto-regulatory would be meaning like you're doing, okay, let's see adjusts the individual athlete's adaptations on a day-to-day basis, so allows the athlete to increase strength at their own pace by catering the program to their daily performance, so almost, like, more intuitive. Okay. Um, using the RPE system. No. PRE, which okay. is progressive resistance exercise. Not to be confused with RPE. <laughs> but um, it's basically, like, self-driven. Okay. Um, progressive resistance exercise versus linear periodization where you would have like a four-week program that says this 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 these percentages these percentages each week so I'm curious about which one you guys would say you lean more towards in your own personal workouts and with your clients or and or I definitely with my clients um if they're like a novice I would definitely want to do linear periodization for the Mm -hmm. sole reason that it's easier to show your client that they're making improvements Mm -hmm. rather than them feeling it out Mm -hmm. the first one I can totally like sympathize with because when you get to a certain point and depending on like for myself what time I am in the season I know that linear periodization just isn't going to happen like Mm -hmm. if I'm supposed to be living lifting at like 95 percent of my max and I just played, like, three games, like, after yeah. a month. It it's The energy is just not there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have to, like, do with what I have. Yeah. So it's even just more, like, for a motivational standpoint mm-hmm. that you're not, like, looking at it as, like, a failure, but more so you're just working with your body and getting in touch with what you have. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, definitely, like, for my clients, if I'm in the beginning stages, I want them to see that, like, they're making results mm-hmm. um, and not just worried about how they feel or, like, how they look. Mm-hmm. But what do you think? Yeah, so, I mean, in my own experience, I've, I mean, I've started work, I started working with linear periodization, like, a year ago, and I really, really like it, um, especially because I can kind of coordinate it to where um, I'm peaking like whenever when I want to be peaking, which is like leading, you know, usually into rugby season. So I mean, I'll stu- I usually go like on a four month cycle of like one month of hypertrophy, month of uh, strength training, a month of power, and then like basically like that peaking last month. Um, and I've also employed that specifically like with the younger clients, like uh, mm-hmm. students especially. Um, and one in particular comes to mind who doesn't play any sports, so it's really good because um i think like linear periodization from in my own experience um has been the quickest way to like get strong fast and like also kind of like gain mass if that's what you're looking for um so with him it's just awesome because it's kind of like this blank slate where i can show him very clearly you know after a month of like 
hypertrophy training, you're going to notice that you're putting on like visible gains. Mm. But um, with older clients, um, which I have a couple of, I usually tend to do more of like, okay, like it took us like a few tries, but like this time you got three sets of 10 at this weight. Next mm -hmm. time we're going up 10 pounds, you know? Um, and I think that just makes a lot more sense for them because they're not really like necessarily like trying to peak or anything like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Also, I think with, like, linear periodization, it helps you get over certain fears. Um, like, if you're trying to go heavier in weight, um, and you just, like, oh, I don't want to touch whatever, like, I'm benching right now. Just because mm -hmm. you're afraid that you'll fail. Mm -hmm. Just looking literally, like, at an Excel sheet and a graph of how you improve mm -hmm. will help you get that confidence to go forward and be mm -hmm. like, no, I have to do this because, like, it's been proven by my own performance that I can do it. Yeah. Um, but the first one, I'm, like, interested to see, like, what the results were. Yeah, I'm trying to find more of a, like, definition on how they define autoregulatory progressive resistance exercise. Um, and it seems like they worked with more rep maxes than um, in linear periodization. So okay. I guess you had, like, you had your one rep for linear periodization and then you did percentages based on yeah. it. And then you, mm. for um, APRE, it was, like, more you had 10 rep you had a six rep and you had a three rep and then um you perform percentages and then there were amraps involved so there's a lot of stuff going on here wow. but that's a lot um yeah so um i'm interested in what you said rahul about linear periodization for newer clients mm -hmm. because i think that at first glance i would think that something more intuitive would be good mm -hmm would be better for new clients. But then I think about it and I think you're really, I think that's a really good point because when you're working with someone brand new, they don't really know like what's hard yet. Yeah. They like don't know how to tell what they can really do because everything feels super hard. Yeah. So when you have like a linear program where you've written out and you know where you're going to get, yeah. then they, it's not like a, what feels heavy yeah. today or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That's a really, really good point. I feel like it takes a lot of like knowledge and like connection with your own body mm -hmm. to be able to accurate, mm -hmm. like really do a program that's based on yeah. like your day to day performance. Well, yeah. And like, that's like what makes us trainers pretty much is that like we rely on science and like numbers to tell us like what is good mm -hmm. and what's not good. Like there is times that you should really focus on how your body's feeling. Cause we're not machines. Yeah. And there's like a lot of things that are variable with our performance, but when you can look at something and have it reaffirm your belief that, like, you're improving, yeah. then that just boosts your performance. So yep. it's, like, a mixture of, like, belief and results and, like, mm -hmm. being okay with, like, the actual facts that you're getting out of your body. Yeah. Um, but, again, like, the, I think it's, like, up for d debate sometimes because there'll be, like, some people who are, like, super motivated who will be, like, fuck the numbers. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can do this. Which, yeah. I mean, you need a bit of that, too. Yeah. But it has to be, like, a healthy balance. Yeah. You can't just have, like, too far in extremes. Because yeah. if you're, like, really focused on numbers, you might just, like, give up because yeah. you don't think you're ever going to get there. And you'd be like, well, it's been mathematically proven that I'm weak, which yeah. is, like, so dumb to believe. Yeah. I, think, I think it definitely depends a lot on the individual person. And I, I am one of the people who, like, does not respond to programming at all. Like, my yeah. body, when I'm put on a, a four-week program, my body's like, forget you. Like, this sucks. <laughs> I hate it. I hate you. Yeah. We're done. We're not doing this, like, with – when I was doing a lot of Olympic weightlifting and CrossFit, I would like plan out everything and like had my lifting program and would do the Metcons mm -hmm. and like my one rep max day, always horrible. 
But if we had like a random rep max test in like a CrossFit wad, I would go in and just like PR. Like yeah. it was like my body was like, you can't tell me when I'm going to PR. Like you can't tell me when I'm going to test. Yeah. Like it was like really anti-program. And then same thing when I started training for this half marathon, like the first time I scheduled myself a long run, I got two miles into it and like wanted to die. And, yeah. thought, and it was like two miles, not a long run mm-hmm. for me. And I realized that I couldn't just, like, program myself into doing this thing that I wanted to do. So I have to, like, rely a lot on intuition and just hope that my body someday feels, like, you know, like, if you don't feel good one day, you're like, okay, well, I need to feel good the next day or whatever. But it always works out a lot better. Yeah. And, I like, I literally think that's where, like, the whole debate about fitness falls into. It's like, we don't live in a vacuum. So that's why programs don't work. Yeah. Like, programs will work. I don't want to say they don't work in general, but that's why it's really hard to make them work. Yeah. Because, like, as students, like, we all know, like, we don't have time to always, like, eat at the right time. Yeah. Or, like, even get enough sleep. Yeah. Right? So... That's why, like, I wanted to see if that first study had, like, any good results. Because I, yeah. I, I firmly believe, like, that is something you should take into consideration is always how you feel, not what the paper says on, like, yeah. what you should be doing that day. Yeah. So this has classic LP as a breakdown of macrocycles, mesocycles, and microcycles, where intensity is gradually increasing and volume is gradually decreasing within the cycles. Um, certain studies have shown that periodized programming elicits better gains in strength and performance than non-periodized, which yeah. like, yes. Um, however, <laughs> there's like the debate right now is between what kind of periodization is the most effective. And, um, it says that daily periodization is found to be more effective than LP in some studies, even with varied volume and intensity. And then this study showed that, um, the... Um, APRE was more effective at improving strength compared with traditional linear periodization in D1 college football players. So they looked at one rep max bench press squat Mm -hmm. and repeated 225 bench reps compared between the APRE and LP protocol. And yeah, so it looks like that the auto-regulatory progressive exercise was greater improvements in the one rep max, one rep max bench press estimated one rep max squat and the number of reps of bench press performed at 225. Mm -hmm. So it feels like it's just like, which this seems like it would be so intuitive, but like not doing your Mm -hmm. entire, like looking at your life day to day and your week day to day and basing programming off of that and doing periodization almost like on a smaller scale than LP where you're expecting like all of your, other factors to be the same I get all that. the time yeah I think that's also just a part of like sports lifting culture as well like you're gonna say all right we're supposed to add 10 pounds this week or like increase our our like whatever percentage of our mass we're doing mm-hmm. but you'll always have like a coach or you'll have like someone there being like no try this like yeah. try and go up which is good to do like you want to yeah. push yourself um but I, I can see that <laughs> like it's literally yeah. just if you feel like you can do it then if you should do it and like basing the periodization it almost feels like this is using more like instead of doing like one week or one month hypertrophy one week or one month strength one week or one month power it's like the way we talk about it with more general fitnessy clients Mm -hmm. where it's like here's your power day here's your strength day here's your endurance day yeah and that way there's a lot more wiggle room for life events and like missing things or feeling bad or whatever yeah. So that's really interesting. Yeah. 
I, that makes sense. Because I like the one general tip that I always thought was really good to keep in mind is that you should always be shocking your body. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if you're doing linear periodization, you're expecting more or less the same movements yeah. every week. Mm-hmm. Even though it's different weights, like it's not fully shocking your body. Yeah. Whereas like if you're doing endurance, then strength, then power, like that's a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> that like your body yeah. has to adjust to. In like a day or yeah. like a week in a day. Yeah. Yeah. I think also like there's limitations to um, kind of the linear periodization way of training because we're all just, you know, innately different in how quickly um, we get stronger. Yeah. Um, and also like, as Rahul was saying before, like, the day-to-day changes that we face, you know, whether, you know, we have an 8 a.m. on Monday, so we're not going to be feeling it as much as yeah. when we have to wake up at, like, 9.30 on Tuesday. Um, but, like, for some people, you know, the linear periodization may work perfectly. We're, like, yeah. you know, this this week I was supposed to do, you know, four sets of 12 at 65% of my max. And then the next week I'm doing, you know, four sets of 12 at 70%. And maybe that just worked perfectly. But I think way more often than that, you know, you're either getting stronger faster than that and the LT is actually limiting you yeah. and you could be lifting more or you're not getting, you know, that strong that quickly and all of a sudden, like, you're not able to keep up with your linear periodization and you're like, what's wrong with me? You know, like, yeah. why am I not, why am I not there? Or you, like, push it and then you end up in trouble because yeah. you, like, thought that you were supposed to do X yeah. Yeah. reps at X And you're like, yeah. well, I have to do four sets of 12, so you start, you know, sacrificing form. Yeah. Um, and maybe you're only doing four sets of 11 or 10, but it was close enough to 12, you Yeah, know, yeah. When it's really just, you're kind of missing the point entirely. That's a really good point. I think sometimes with studies, like, I want to, like, look at studies like this and be like, okay, this, like, you know, this is what this says, and looking at blah, 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 but, like, and, like, this study is interest, very interesting mm-hmm. to consider, but it was done on a bunch of D1 college yeah. football players, yeah. and, like, it's, like, we talk about what the best way to do periodization is, and, like, maybe there just isn't, like, yeah. maybe you just need to try one way and try another way, yeah. and it's going to be all about, like, because no one's body's the same. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously, like, football players, um, especially D1 football players, can eat, put on muscle a lot easier yeah. than, like, the average male. And if you're a D1 football player, you have the genetics that, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. that cause you to get, re- you know, results yeah. from poor oh, yeah. training. Like, yeah. you're yeah, a volume the, person. Yeah, the resources that you have at your disposal as far as, you know, nutrition and trainers and stuff like that, it's just, you know, far exceeds anything that, you know, that the common person working out in the campus rec is willing to have. Yeah. I would be curious to see the same study done on, like, 12, like, high school math teachers, you know? Yeah. Like, normal just, people. like, personal training clients. Yeah. 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 I just, so like, awesome. you can, like, keep tabs on them, but otherwise, they yep. just kind of, your everyday. People. Yeah. The thing I've always been interested in is seeing, like, these kinds of lifting programs done on someone who's just, like, not, who, who who's not supposed to be doing these kinds mm-hmm. of programs. Like, for example, like, a swimmer would yeah. never do this kind of program. Yeah. But, I feel like that's when you would see if um, they're like the true results of yeah. the difference between like LP and like mm. I'm forgetting like the name of the other one. A P R E. Yeah, A P R E. You know, like yeah. yeah. At least you're introducing like a different kind of um, like client. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Also, it doesn't say anything about how it affected their football performance. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess like there's probably a positive linear correlation between your one rep max and just like being able to perform in a sport yeah but it, yeah and it depends like on yeah. what your position is yeah and, you know there's been so there's like the guy who can do the most 
that like the highest bench in the NFL probably mm-hmm. might not be like the best person ever. Yeah. Yeah. Might not be able to move. The way yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's or pretty like, simple. We talked about this at one of the CEC workshops we had at work last semester, where like. If you're teaching cleans, if you're teaching hang power cleans to a CrossFit athlete or an, or an Olympic weightlifter, and then you're teaching hang power cleans to a basketball player, like it doesn't matter how much weight the basketball player can put on the barbell for hang power cleans because it's not what it's about. Mm-hmm. And like increasing a basketball player's hang power clean one rep max isn't really gonna do that as much for their sport as reps of hang power yeah. cleans are mm-hmm. and like same thing for like a swimmer like mm-hmm. and I granted I don't know that much about swimming at all I've never I've never known anything mm-hmm. about swimming cross training but like I can't imagine that increasing someone's one rep max squat <laughs> is gonna like change their swimming as much as bench or overhead press or yeah. something yeah so that's interesting as well this podcast is turning into just like a lit review yeah <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of like that um Cool. Any other thoughts you guys have on any of this stuff? I think like the biggest, um, like the biggest advice if I could give to someone who's like looking to work out is to design their program around just around performance, pretty much. Um, like that is the best way I think you'll keep yourself motivated. Um, in any kind of training like Mm -hmm. if your goal is aesthetic like I respect that Um, and you could even make you know your training around performance yet still have those aesthetic goals you want because what matters is that when you're in the session that you're enjoying it Um, because like you'll be lifting in the gym for aesthetic for example and even though you're doing everything you're supposed to you might just hate the way you look while doing it Mm -hmm. and that there's no point in that then yeah Um, because it takes a while to get to that end goal that you want so why Mm -hmm. not make it enjoyable while you're doing that workout yeah so yeah i think that's like the one thing i would just say you know go to the gym because it's fun because it makes you feel good and then you know all the all the physical and you know aesthetic attributes that come with that are great but if you're if you're in it for the six pack it's yeah i'm in it for the six (laughs) i do think that sports set a really good example and like not all sports Mm mm-hmm but especially, like, collegiate club sports because it's not, like, everything's riding on it and there's not, yeah. like, fame involved. But, like, set a really good example for fitness just by being, like, I'm working out to get better at something. Yeah. And I'm doing, like, you're practicing. It's it's called practice. Like, when people go to the gym, it's never called practice. But you really, that's what it is. It's, yeah. like, practice for yeah. life. Like, getting mm-hmm. better at doing things in real life and getting stronger mm-hmm. and able yeah. to live better and more healthfully yeah. and move. And I think that is something that people don't realize sports, like, gives us a really good example of. Yeah. Like, if you could treat the gym like a sport, then I feel like it'd be easier. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I mean, in in a lot of ways, like, lifting is, I think, so popular of a sport because, or working out in general, because, you know, it's just you. You know, you're the only variable, and you can control yourself. Mm -hmm. So... I think for a lot of people, that's why it's so popular. Because, you know, the weight's always going to weigh the same amount. <laughs> yeah. And it's just up to yeah. you and the decisions that you make. Yeah. Okay, I'm thinking that I need to end each episode of this with a signature question. Okay. So, we'll try this one. I might change it later. But what is your favorite lift or movement and why? Oh, um, I definitely think, like, weighted pull-ups. 
Um, yeah, I love doing weighted pull-ups just because for myself personally, I think like the hardest movement I had just when I was beginning lifting was just doing a pull-up, mm-hmm. right? And like as a shorter person, it should be easier for me, but like I just struggled so much. So now when I do weighted pull-ups, like one, I feel awesome because like I can do it with extra weight plus my body weight. And then also I noticed that from doing weighted pull-ups as well, a lot of my upper body strength has improved in all sorts of capacity. Like even my deadlift locking out mm-hmm. has helped a lot because I just have that extra push um, from doing weighted pull-ups. And then like aesthetically as well, it like makes like certain muscles grow larger, yeah. which is nice. nice. Um, but yeah, definitely that movement for sure. Cool. Yeah. And I think my answer is kind of like maybe a little stereotypically like personal trainer, but I just love to bench press. um and I think it's because you know when I first got into lifting um it was the first lift that I was taught um and for someone kind of with my build you know kind of um, with longer arms it's something that I shouldn't be very good at as compared to someone maybe with shorter arms um but for whatever reason you know I really just enjoyed it from the first time I did it and so it's something that I've stuck with and uh I don't know I like it. So cool. if we catch you on like a Saturday night, you'll be bench pressing. No, 100%. In your free time, but on just Friday play. nights, visit the bars. Yes. <laughs> yes. That seems like it. <laughs> okay, well, thank you both so, so much for joining me on my podcast for my second episode and talking to me about sports and six packs <laughs> <laughs> and linear periodization. It was fun. Thank yeah. you for having us. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, listeners, (laughs) for listening.